Welcome to the Danish National Biobank podcast. This is one of two specials from our symposium, Future of Biobanking at Medicon Village in Lund. This part is the unedited key talk by Christian Wien, head of Biobank Norway. Okay, thank you very much, Lasse. So I, um, when I looked at my title and the topic of the conference, I just had to put in some future there. So it's a future Norwegian perspective, and it could of course be a perspective from one Norwegian, because I haven't uh, discussed this with all Norwegians. But uh, in, in many, many ways we are um, uh, quite uh, ag agreeable on this uh, infrastructure uh, construction that we um, have developed in Norway. So I'll start with that, just give you a background of how we develop the biobank infrastructures and then move into perhaps a little bit more exciting things, the futuristic perspective, and also touch upon things that we just heard in, uh, in um, recent talk. So um, this is probably known stuff for most of you, but biobanks, they have been an, an essential medical asset for 20 years. and um, it will definitely play an essential future role in studies of common and complex diseases, uh, for large-scale genetic studies, just to, uh, to uh, both to identify rare genetic variants, non-coding mutations, and something very interesting that's um, on the agenda right now, developing polygenic risk scores for many diseases and adjust this to uh, exposure and environmental factors. Then for the optimal use of high-throughput omics platforms, it's a perfect match, I would say, between omics and, and biobanks. And luckily, the uh, uh, omic platform, they are requiring less and less biological material, which is very good for the biobanks. They will play a highly central in precision medicine, in drug discovery, in biomarker validation, and also in pre-competitive public-private partnership, which is uh, an interesting topic to bring into the discussion in light of the recent presentation. So we started out with this type of infrastructure in 2010. And I think what was for us a success criteria was that we were able to have everybody on board, all the regions, all the major universities, all the institutes, literally all the biobanks uh, or biobank owners um, went in as partners of Biobank Norway and they signed a consortium agreement which still holds and uh, we're still friends. And uh, since 2013 we've been in a further state of BBMR ERIC, the European Infrastructure for Biobanks, full member state since 2016. And so far we have been funded uh, with 250 million Norwegian kroner by the Research Council of Norway through their infrastructure program. Of course, the partners put a lot more into this. So this is only a fraction of what it costs. 
but nevertheless, it's a very significant sign of support uh, from um, the Research Council. So this is how it looked like when we started out. And we still have this leaders, uh, this organizational structure. We have a, a leader group with all partners and all VP leaders. And we're not very strict with who participates in the meeting. If partners want to bring three instead of one, we're happy with that, just so we know in front how many lunches we should order. Otherwise, there is no problem with that. We ha I don't think we have any voting where we had to count the votes. It's always almost uh, consensus. Um, so we have uh, owners of, or administrators of the population biobanks, University of Oslo, University of Bergen, University of Trondheim, or, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Tromsø, NTNU, and the National Institute of Public Health, and then uh, the four regional health trusts, and the Norwegian Cancer Registry. So in the, in the beginning, we established two central or national biobanks, one at the National Institute of Public Health and one at Hunt, where we put uh, a significant number of resources uh, uh, and, and, and funding to, to make them highly uh, operational and, and efficient. But uh, as years have gone, there has been a lot of uh, biobank establishments also on the regional and, and local level. And we have all the regional biobanks. Um, um, these were the work packages. Uh, I mean, the only point here is probably to see where we move from having a focus on population biobanks, clinical biobanks, analytic strategies, uh, biostatistic, technical solutions, innovation and funding. And later on, it's a lot more about data, data storage, data uh, computing. So this again is uh, how the work package were put together in uh, Biobank Norway 1 from 2010 to 2015. And um, we went to a second phase, Biobank Norway 2. As, uh, we are finalizing uh, Biobank Norway 2 this year. And the Biobank uh, work package, uh, the infrastructure's work packages, where in this period, uh, prospective clinical biobanks, and we have set up prospective clinical biobanks in three of the major university hospitals. Uh, multi-center biobanking, I'll give you an example of that. Um, a lot strong focus on biocomputing, sto secure storage, and establishment of, of, of um, uh, cloud solutions, which has now been established at, at these three universities. Uh, it's growing in power and, and computational um, uh, resources, but uh, it's uh, still uh, quite far from what you can put up here in Denmark in, uh, in computer own. Um, this is also a work package I'll cover um, in the next few slides. Um, a special work package, package that focuses on donor communication and the establishment of a my page or a, a research, a my page for the research participants, both within and without the uh, clinical uh, system. Uh, to um, establish a uh, complete digital biobank registry and develop a cohort explorer. Um, in many ways resembles uh, Danish biobank registries, but have a, uh, a few other features. Then uh, um, to um, develop standardized pipelines for whole genome sequencing based on biobank samples, and then uh, a work package on innovation and industrial collaborations, specifically focusing on, on uh, 
uh, on public-private partnerships. And these two um, work packages or common services have also been very helpful over this four-year period. One uh, on ethics. Uh, it's extremely important now to have some sort of help text when it comes to ethics. It's getting more and more complicated. And then one on biobanking. And uh, within this uh, common service, um, we have also developed this best uh, biobanking practice that has been um, upgraded and updated. And you can find that on our website. So we've made some heavy investments over these years. There's a minus 20 semi-automated uh, uh, freezer system at the cancer registry in Oslo. They used the Janus Bank. They used to have all their samples in freezers where they were also stored along with meat and fish and whatever. So it was on high time that they got their own system. Um, there is a um, minus 80 automated um, storage at Haukland Hospital. This is a Hamilton. This is a Laconic for those of you that are interested. Uh, the first minus 20 automated at Hunt was um, um, an RTS system. Uh, as well as at the National Institute of Public Health. Um, we had to get rid of this now because it was too expensive to upgrade the software. That would cost more than to buy a new system. Uh, I think you're facing some of the same challenges in, in, uh, in Denmark right now. Um, so these are the, those, those two national biobanks that I initially talked about, the Hunt Biobank and Research Center, and the uh, mobile biobank at the National Institute of Public Health. Uh, we have just recently installed a minus 80 automated storage at Hunt Biobank that can hold 13 million samples. And after three years, it's working very well. Um, that um, takes a lot of effort, you all know that, to have these um, complicated installations to work um, as they were supposed to. Uh, there's a minus 80 automated storage in um, at National Institute of Public Health. And this is also the inside of the Hunt one. So this is a Brooks system. This is a Hamilton system, Lyconic, uh, uh, Hamilton and RTS. So it's a nice mixture. <coughs> then this work package uh, on multi-center biobank has focused on sharing uh, uh, biopsies from uh, prostate cancer patients. And um, to access these on the common a secure net called the Norsk Helsenet, Norwegian Health Net. And there you have also um, all the uh, data from the cancer registries, uh, all the remises and all the uh, uh, results and validation of the cancer. This is all then stored in one database and can be accessed by, by researchers and of course reused for different uh, purposes. So just to prove that this is possible, that different universities are different uh, health regions can collaborate on, on such a project. Um, I think that was also a major achievement. Then on this page, uh, uh, on something called headsetnorge.no, uh, um, participants in the latest HUNT study, which is a um, large uh, population-based uh, survey going on in, in uh, the central part of Norway, um, each participant, and this happened to be me, uh, you have my data there. Uh, so you can, um, you can then access this uh, by a, a, a um, two-factor uh, authentication, um, like you go into scott.deco and so forth. 
and you'll find uh, a message from Hunt uh, where you have your results and some uh, risk scores of your risk of getting myocardial infarctions. Uh, I happen to have a low risk, so that's why I put it here. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> probably wouldn't. Uh, uh, but um, this is a beginning. So far, it has been a one-way communication. If you want to notify the participants of there is a new message in your inbox, we have to send them an SMS. But we can handle that. So in, in some future projects where we are uh, running uh, whole genome or whole exome sequencing, and the ethical committee wants us to inform the participants more specifically um, on top of the already existing consent, then this is a good way of communicating. So we can send them an SMS, say that uh, there is some information there about the study, your samples will be used for uh, specific research purposes. Please uh, respond uh, if you are uh, uh, not interested in participation. Yes, and we will also have develop, further develop this as a dynamic consent uh, um, site where whenever there's a need to change uh, the consent, uh, we can do that uh, electronically and then notify the participants that this change has been made. And we have to have some sort of re-signature of, of these um, consent forms. Then the work package eight, I think also is quite important, has worked, um, I think, very well in trying to prepare the biobanks for industrial collaboration and to look into the biobank, biobank samples, the biobank routines, uh, to see how they will be fit for purpose for biobank uh, collaboration with, with industry. Uh, we actually wrote this uh, document um, on behalf of, uh, of uh, a couple of ministries in 2009, I'm sorry. This was a potential for commercial exploitation of human uh, uh, biobanks. And um, I think this still is a very good document. I was chairing this group, uh, but the ministers have so far, far not figured out what they should do with it. So um, things doesn't work that fast in Norway. Then for the next round of funding, we don't know yet if we get funding or how much we eventually will get, but uh, this is the infrastructure of um, um, of the work package infrastructure for the Biobank Doorway 3. Uh, some of this is, uh, is similar, uh, prospective clinical biobank, multi-center biobanking, but there's one here now on digital biobanking, and one on precision medicine, one on donor co communication. And we also want now to employ four persons in full-time positions to have a national lead on coordination, quality management, IT, and operation managers, and also, uh, I'm sorry, this should be work package five, to, to uh, be uh, um, heading this uh, initiative on precision medicine. And we uh, still have a uh, common service uh, for ELSI, uh, and one on quality biobanking, and one on computational biobanking. Just two words about the Hunt study, since I know this study very well, and just to see how many of the Norwegian population-based studies are structured. So there are several that have this, have similar features. Um, we started out in the uh, mid-80s 
invited uh, approximately uh, 90,000 uh, adults in the, in the uh, county, this area here. Um, then 88% uh, attended. We only um, received information uh, through the questionnaire data uh, later in the mid-90s, uh, 2006 to 2008, and 2017 to 2019. We have taken blood samples, had more extensive questionnaires, and a lot of follow-up uh, examinations that could be MR, uh, echo, heart, um, well, whatever researchers would like to introduce and can afford. And interestingly, we have a number of people that show up from survey till survey, and there are now around uh, uh, 2,000, not 20,000 that have been part of, of all four. And these 26,000 approximately that have participated in two, three, and four are especially attractive for uh, omics analysis. So as an example, right now we're negotiating with Metabolon, which is an American company that do metabolic uh, uh, profiling at large scale. Uh, and um, they would like to do, uh, do um, metabolic profiling at multiple time points for these participants. And we're very happy to collaborate uh, as well, um, if we can get this through all the uh, approval uh, uh, hindrances, uh, uh, GDPR, DPIA, and uh, especially sharing data with um, with uh, research environments uh, overseas or outside the European uh, Union. As all of you know, the, in the Nordic countries, we have the ability to to add all this information to uh, um, disease registries or uh, medical records and then, uh, or, or other national registries and to, to, to get a lot more information on uh, disease endpoints. This is the only slide about the biobank and there's no, no numbers on, on, on the, on the um, availability of tubes but these are the number of donors. So we have DNA, serum, plasma from now around 100,000. Um, different other biosamples in, in different uh, amounts. And we have also stored DNA from uh, a number of the other national population uh, studies in Norway, uh, so-called CONOR collaboration. So it's, it's about uh, a quarter of a of a million DNA samples that we have uh, stored in uh, automated freezers. And in Hunt4, we started also collecting uh, saliva, fecal samples, uh, which is now extremely attractive. Um, so based on these uh, 70,000 that have been, at least after Hunt3, been uh, donating biological material, uh, by next year it will be around 100,000. Uh, they've been uh, uh, genotyped based on a human core exome uh, chip array, 600 uh, genetic markers, and also including 60,000 custom hunt snips or uh, snips from, the, uh, from, from samples that we um, uh, sequence up front. Yeah. And imputed uh, based on two different imputation panels uh, up to close to uh, 30 million uh, markers. 
So um, in this specific, specific effort, then uh, cardiovascular disease has been the main focus, but we've also looked at uh, different uh, sub-studies, now between 60 and 70, um, with um, different phenotype experts. So there are about 150 uh, collaborating clinicians that, that works on the same data set, but with different clinical endpoints. And this is an extremely exciting endeavor. Uh, and, um, it is also a good way for us to get access to a number of, of disease endpoints and ICD codes. Well, um, I noticed that the Danish uh, National, uh, the National Genome Center decided to do whole genome sequencing. I wish I could be in that position to say, should I do X some of the genome? Uh, just try to do some math, and I, well, if you do sixty thousand, it probably half a. Uh, half a billion uh, Danish kroner to do that. So um, you have to have some money as well to make those selections. But I still think that genotyping, imputing, and a limited number of sequencing is a very, very good approach. And as you can see on this curve that the, the, um, the cost per genome is uh, decreasing, but since 2015, it hasn't gone really that much lower. Um, you can get some discount, maybe around $800 or something per genome, if you buy it from, from um, um, private providers. Uh, otherwise, you can go to Kaidisefanon and ask him if he would do it. I know many Danish cohorts have at least used their resources. But um, still, genotyping, I think, is, uh, and for, for years to come, will be uh, a very acceptable approach. Then we have done a number of GWAS uh, uh, or genome-wide association studies on uh, um, around 1,600 binary or quantitative traits based on uh, unique variables from the Hunt Data Bank or ICD codes retrieved from electronic health records. So there's a number of publications coming out. And um, we have also established something we call a fee web which means that you put all the summary statistics from your GWAS analysis, you put the, uh, all the SNPs that turn out to, to, to have a GWAS significant, uh, um, to be GWAS significant, and look at what other uh, phenotypes would be associated with this uh, genetic marker. Uh, this is just an example of uh, APOE. Um, um, gene and uh, which is associated with Alzheimer's disease. It's also associated with the fasting blood lipids and this lipidemia maybe not that surprising but um, when you do this and put enough data into it you can get, get some quite interesting associations that you potentially wouldn't be aware of. And we would like to make this public uh, uh, eventually. Then we're looking for these non-coding mutations, or loss of function mutations. We each have 100 to 150 of those each. And um, these are rare variants, as you, most of you know. And they have an increase, you find an increased numbers in founder populations, such as the Finnish population. So the non-European Finns are especially attractive um, in this respect. Uh, yeah you have twice as many loss of function mutations as, as we do. So we envy that. 
I hope it's <laughs> useful. Uh, but these are then very interesting drug targets. So some of these mutations happen to have uh, positive uh, clinical effects, as this loss of function mutation in the PCSK9 gene, as you maybe know already, uh, has a proven to show a reduced risk of MI by 50 to 90 percent, and low levels of, of uh, lipids, LDL cholesterol, triglycerides. And the mechanism here is that if this gene does not produce this protein, there will be some uh, uh, LDL receptors that are then free to, to, to take up uh, LDL molecules, so there will be less LDL molecules circulating, and that's good for the patient. So this has turned into a drug so far, uh, and it's an antibody. Uh, you inject uh, monthly or something. Um, and, um, and it's a, it's a supplement to, to statins. Now, I, I met with Henning Bungor at Trix Hospital the other day, and uh, we were in a co collaboration called uh, PM Heart and um, Precision Medicine Heart. We're looking into a better algorithm or for more precise diagnostics of, uh, of uh, ischemic heart disease. And, um, it seems now that uh, some of the recommendations from the European Research Council and from others uh, will point at lowering cholesterol levels for treatment uh, in this disease category, which could mean that um, the only medication on top of statins that can do so will be these. And I know then there will be some companies that will be quite pleased with that. Um, so we looked at other uh, loss of function mutation one in this TM6SF2 gene that had the same effect as uh, the PCSK9 gene. Uh, we were able to discover that in the Hunt cohort and replicate in the Trumsa cohort. Uh, on the other hand, this uh, loss of function mutation also showed an increased risk of fatty liver disease and type 2 diabetes, so it's not such a great drug target. And then uh, this is another study where 150,000 Biobank samples across five ancestry groups uh, were used to uh, discover a protective gene against type 2 diabetes. We also looked into um, uh, the effect of the predictive effect of uh, uh, protein assay, protein markers. Uh, this is one by the uh, American company Somalogic, so-called Somascan. And we, you can see here that uh, uh, the, the predictive effect of these nine proteins is very comparable with the observed um, number of disease endpoints in a patient population or a, uh, um, extracted from, from the Hunt database um, to predict uh, secondary events or secondary disease endpoints. And finally, when it comes to biomarkers, I think this is extremely interesting. This is to develop predictive risk scores. This is from a, a talk given by Marcus Perola uh, a few months ago. I don't think it has been published yet, but it's data from the FinGen project. And um, here you see uh, different uh, risk scores for type 2 diabetes within different BMI classes. So if, for instance, if you are obese between 30 to 35 and you have a low genetic risk score, your risk isn't really that high after all. But if you're in 
that weight classes and higher. Very high uh, a, um, a polygenic risk group, type 2 diabetes, um, you're a lot worse off than in this category that uh, uh, is um, even more uh, adipose. Uh, this is something we can do with a lot of the data that we generate and, and, and uh, try to figure out the, the influence of the genetics um, and, um, and exposure. So just a few slides on biobank-driven drug discoveries. I see my time is almost out. I noticed I started five minutes late, so <laughs> I've almost used that as well. Um, so development of therapeutics, this is from last year. It's not going very well. One of 10 drug candidates uh, only reached the market, only 10%. And it's due to um, uh, lack of efficacy, uh, due to toxicity that uh, wasn't uh, evident uh, to begin with. So if you do a drug discovery based on biobank bio samples or human genetics, um, then you are two and a half times more likely to be successful. And, and this means a lot since the total cost of bringing one successful drug to the market is $2.8 billion. Um, I'll go through this very quickly. But uh, what we have seen now that the time from discovery till introducing a drug at the market is, is has shortened significantly. And um, you, you know a lot about the safety profile because you are um, developing a drug based on genetic discoveries in living humans that have been around for decades and might not have any side effects of their loss of function mutations. Um, so um, just to mention that uh, we collaborate a lot with uh, pharma when there is a potential to do so. And we, we do this on terms of a so-called pre-competitive uh, uh, partnership, uh, which is, a, I think, a very clean way of collaborating. Uh, it's very transparent. We have uh, very good agreements. And we have common goals. And for sure, uh, whatever you think about, pharma and pharmaceutical industries, they develop something that probably all of us will need during a lifespan, and that's medication. And maybe this is a, a good take-home message for the biobankers, that now the pharmaceutical industries have a really growing interest into biobanks. You can expect a lot um, higher annual revenue uh, in the next few years. Yes, I think um, that is, this was mentioned in the previous um, talk, the, the uh, lack of effect of uh, present or the most used medications. And um, um, to be able to do better studies from the population side, not from the clinical side this time, uh, we have uh, established this Nordic Society of Human Genetics and Precision Medicines, and these are some of the numbers of what have been genotyped and, and, and sequenced in, in different countries. These numbers increase constantly, so my side is uh, probably not correct uh, right now. Uh, but uh, I think, um, and this is how it has been then uh, structured in Finland. We might come back to that at some stage during this uh, symposium. 
these pharmaceutical companies are all involved here. They are paying for this. And um, uh, so the recent data freeze is 181,000 that has been genotyped and 300,000 samples have been collected from population based and from the clinic. And uh, um, uh, Lasse and I will just uh, pointed at this publication that came out recently that there now is a discussion in Finland on is this right and, and, and to what extent can you use data from the legacy collections that are not consented. I think this is about it, Lasse. Um, so this is a way we want to approach precision medicine from the population uh, biobank side. This is uh, maybe too complicated slide to go into right now, but we, we have to find one way of linking uh, all the resources that have been used in, in these uh, population biobanks and even clinical biobanks to what's now uh, going to be um, conducted in Denmark and in other countries in precision medicine from the clinical side. Yes, so um, we are returning results as well. And in the HUNT study, 92% of the participants in the last HUNT uh, 4 study said yes to have a return of something we call actionable results if they had um, um, a potential treatment or preventive uh, uh, effect. Or, um, uh, and also, I think also something that's uh, extremely interesting from a research point of view, that 84% of the population uh, accepted to be recalled based on genetic findings that might not necessarily mean something to them, but uh, that would be very interesting to follow up from a research point of view. So, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to the parent episode, Future of Biobanking, as well as the other biobanking special with Mike Divers of Karolinska Institute Biobank in Stockholm.